Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week we're discussing the 7th and 8th episodes of Star Trek Picard Season 2, Monsters and Mercy. So, we've covered part of Monsters, let's not rehash that nonsense. <laughs> you, can go, you can go listen to our mini episode, suffice it to say bad mental health representation i didn't listen to any or read any other recaps or listen to any other podcasts before i finished my photo cap which took me even longer than normals it was up at like 9 p.m on wednesday like a couple hours before but still before the new one and then and so the past 24 hours I've been listening and, and reading and it just I'm glad we did that because I think that it is a good representation and my photocap is a good representation of my feelings yeah and I don't want to get bogged down in that um because I have a lot of positive things to say about other parts of it these two episodes but I still no one has convinced me that it was good <laughs> No, I think Wes Beverly had a good conversation uh, from, I think it was Adrian, but I have trouble telling their voices apart at this point, about how in many ways... Sophia hated it. I know Yeah, yeah. Uh, So (laughs) Sophia agreed with us, and Adrian had, I think, a more nuanced view where she was like, I understand why people had problems, but to me, I felt Mm -hmm. very seen. And Mm -hmm. they had a really thoughtful conversation that I really enjoyed listening to. I agree. I feel like I haven't seen anyone else talking about it, which is really disappointing to me because even progressive spaces in fandom like the Women at Warp Warp Recap had comments like, they should have eradicated mental health, mental illness by this era. And I'm also not going to... personally. (laughs) I know, I know. I'm not going to recap the Twitter thread I had about how how this idea of... eradication is problematic but I will link it the only other thing I want to say about the mental health subplot last week is that it troubled me that they didn't actually name uh, Yvette's diagnosis like they talked around it but very strongly hinted and that to me added to the stigma feel of the story it's so bad we cannot possibly name it we can't say it out loud I have two comments about that. Yes. The first is that I I am very convinced that it was bipolar disorder, although to be fair, I called it bipolar disorder before it was that episode even aired. So yeah. I might be a little biased. <laughs> but bipolar disorder is a the more recent name for it. It used to be called manic depressive illness. And so part yes. of me is like, well, they they assumed that it would be called something different you know 400 years from now and I sort of can accept that answer but it's similarly to uh Chakotay being Native American but we're not going to talk about what that means it feels very they have a mental illness but we're not going to talk about what that means (laughs) we're just going to wave at it and assume that you understand and I think that's I think that's disingenuous to real people who have these real disorders 
I think that's a really good comparison because once again, the problem with Chakotay is that there was no one of Native American heritage in the writer's room and even the consultant they hired was a fraud. And as you have said, they have science consultants for the physics and the biology, but there's no mental health consultant. You should just hire me. <laughs> I am I am willing to work for, you know, a very low salary. <laughs> oh, no, don't say that because then they'll think they can get away with paying everyone less. You will work to for make... the appropriate salary and you okay. will like it. I will it. work for the appropriate salary. Yes. I really, really strongly believe that they need someone on staff for all of these shows. People were complaining about how Discovery portrayed therapy and mental illness and... You need, you need someone to vet these things. Yeah. You need someone who lives in that space, who has a very strong, you know, understanding of how it is. And I'm, I'm, I'm here pitching myself, but it's not like I, I have it both as a personal, I have personal connections I, in that I am related to people with mental illness. I myself have struggled with mental illness and I also have studied mental illness all the way up to a master's degree. <laughs> like, I'm not, you know, coming out of nowhere from this. And I really think that they need that exposure. It's not just someone who has been in therapy. Like, where's Beverly mentions, you know, this is someone who is is writing from, oh no, it was Gen uh, Greatest Generation, I think, who mm -hmm. said someone who is writing from they uh having been in therapy versus having not been in therapy writers and i can sort of see that in like the mystery box kind of uh and we're you know they, they're, they're using the right terms yeah <laughs> but they're not but they're uh that's still not having studied i've literally have a degree in the intersection between pop culture like media and in fact, Star Trek was my thesis mm. <laughs> and social science, sociology, psychology and mental health. So like just saying it doesn't have to be me, but hire someone <laughs> to do this work for you so that you don't get people on podcasts saying this was not great. Yeah, it's a pretty simple solution. Uh, I would like to say we had a higher a higher number of downloads and listens to that our mini episode last week than ever, and I think it got a lot of traction from people who don't normally listen to us because they too were upset by this episode and yeah. saw that we were talking about it. So if you're still listening, thank you. I appreciate it, and I hope that you at least felt seen by our conversation and. If we made you feel worse in some way, that was unintentional and I apologise. Because I, I am cognizant of the fact that I have no experience of bipolar disorder and my mental health issues are completely different. Anyway, moving on. Terry Metalis, the showrunner, tweeted in early April that uh, he stepped back to concentrate on season three at around the halfway point of the series and Akiva Colds Goldsman took over as the head writer. And it shows. <laughs> and strangely, we're having those same plotting and pacing issues <laughs> that we have had. For example, I have an example. Yes. This week featured two scenes with Corey. Corey on her laptop 
you know, sort of talking to herself. And then she goes into like a little Oculus uh, virtual reality idea yes. and gets to talk to Q. And then Corey confronting her father. The Corey virtual reality Q scene belonged in the previous episode so that we weren't like Corey having a fit and then and then that nothing happens for a while and we're just dealing with this Picard stuff. It, like they, these were two episodes that definitely were parts of a story and we still don't have all of it and that's fine but it's it's just strange to leave Corey hanging for, yeah. for, for a whole episode and she gets two scenes so just put that other scene in that other episode that's where it goes just saying you know I, I've been complaining about Akiva Goldsman's work on Star Trek going back to season one of Discovery and I really do think that the more heavily he is involved in a story in a series the worse it is and you know he wrote the season finale of Discovery season one which could not overcome all the pacing problems that had been there throughout the season but also introduced a whole lot of new ones this is an absurd thing to say about an incredibly experienced storyteller but I don't think he's a good storyteller <laughs> anyway good news he's the guy in charge of strange new worlds so that can't possibly go wrong and I guess I owe Michael Chabon an apology I think that Picard is just special in that it is very poorly written but has the most it's it's thinking outside the box and it's doing its own little thing it's very very focused on picard which is fine because that's how it was written like i'm not upset that picard is the main character in a show that's literally titled star trek picard mm. but they created a very rich cast around him and even like this season i love teresa yeah like she's great even though she's completely random i love Guinan, like there's a lot of characters <laughs> and they're juggling a lot of balls and they're not really great at, at making sure that they're all staying up in the air. I, th I think that puts it very well. And we have all of these fairly complicated stories and a large cast and all of the subplots are being handled quite simplistically and in cursory ways most of the time and yet we also have these really short episodes and it just feels like they're not using their time wisely. Discovery had a similar problem in that it kind of ran out of plot and had to spin the wheels for a few weeks but they mm -hmm. used that time to do character stuff and world building stuff and Picard isn't even doing that. It's disappointing and I think in a few years time we're going to get some very interesting behind the scenes tell all stuff about how this series was run and written much like we'll get eventually I hope with the first season of Discovery and I'm really curious to be able to put the series and the stories in that context because mm -hmm. I think once I understand more about what was happening and the, the challenges they faced I might be a bit more forgiving of the flaws. Knowing all of the backstory of the first two seasons of uh, Next Generation right. is is revelatory. <laughs> it's yes. very, very, it's like amazing that they made any good shows <laughs> with all the craziness that was going on. So yes, I agree. And I love the characters. I love like, Where's Beverly had that, that uh, guest on and asked her her three favorite 
Picard characters and mm. I was like I don't even know because I like everyone yes. <laughs> all of them are my favorite I really love all of the characters in Star Trek Picard except for Dr. Sung <laughs> and it's it's just really strange and interesting to me that I also even like the ideas of what they're doing I loved the weird Borg stuff. I loved the weird Romulan stuff of the first season. I loved the weird Borg stuff and the weird, you know, identity stuff of this season. It's very me. Yeah. I love everything that's going on. I just think that it, it is not well put together there. It's almost like they're just sort of doing whatever <laughs> each each time and it's this not it just doesn't hang well together and but I I appreciate it I really appreciate even the storylines that it that I don't like like the event storyline I appreciate that it exists I just think it could be handled better I agree I don't I, th I think I'm still too close to the Yvette storyline to see a way to write through it to make it better, but I'm sure that there is a way. And I do think it's important that we know more about Picard's childhood and his mother as a character. And, you know, maybe several generations down the line we'll get a new Star Trek with a new uh, take on this story that is better. Mm. That would be interesting. I don't want to say that Law and Order is doing this better because Law and Order do, does very few things better. However, <laughs> they brought back Sabler, who is a powder keg of a character. Yeah. And always was. Always was dealing with many, many issues of anger management and he had a lot of demons. Yeah. That way. And they uh, introduced in season 10 of a, a show that's now on season 22, I think, the idea that not only, like, they, they had already brought up the, the idea that his father was not a great dad, mm. that he was, if not physically abusive, at least emotionally abusive. And then they made his mother bipolar. And they huh. didn't use the word bipolar, so it actually is. Yes. <laughs> for sure but then his mother is a recurring character in his current series and, and also like that episode is great like the uh, the episode that's about his mother is about his mother mm. and it like it's about Elliot but it's also about his mother and about his daughter because she inherits it right and the most recent episode of organized crime his mother is now living with him and she is sort of on this you know, you have to reconcile your feelings of your of your of your father. Like she's still alive, his father is dead, mm. and she's saying, Yeah, there was a lot of bad in this relationship, but there was also a lot of good. And we mm. can't just throw all of that out. And it was very nuanced. It made me cry. It was just like Elliot and his mother watching family movies of his father being a dad mm. and I just really appreciated that more <laughs> than I did Picard and his dad and it, it came out like the same day so it was really just I, I couldn't not compare them because they had so many weird parallels and Law and Order Organized Crime is the serialized sequel spin-off to a beloved <laughs> episodic right. franchise 
right there's just so many things that are the same and i am just it's bonkers to me that i enjoyed watching elliot and his mother more than picard and his mother like it's just crazy to me it doesn't make sense but the fact that his mother was the like she had all of the agency in the story Mm. it's really particularly embarrassing for star trek the allegedly progressive franchise that a franchise as famously reactionary and problematic as law and order is doing better in this regard like not in everything but in this one particular thing gotta give them the win <laughs> i'm not going to defend the the copaganda side of law and order uh I, I haven't actually watched law and order in many years but my bff was in svu and criminal intent fandom for a while so like i am familiar with the franchise and it is very problematic but in this regard it's doing better also michelle heard was in svu so Justice for Jeffries. (laughs) (laughs) Me and my two friends, we have a a little a little hashtag that whenever we talk about Michelle Hurd, and like why I want the whole a Captain Rafi situation to happen is like one hundred percent because Jeffries was not treated well in nineteen ninety nine. I was going to say a black woman (laughs) on television in a cop show in the nineties. Treated poorly? Surely not. It was very, very, very bad. And justice for Jeffries. <laughs> Just putting that out there. Justice for Rafi too, to be honest. Yes, yes. Is this a good time to mention, and we, it's sort of jumping around our notes, but uh, I don't actually know that Rafi is that manipulative a person. Okay, so my beef with the Rafia's manipulative idea Mm. is that we already know that she struggles with addiction. Yes. And, like, that's something that goes hand in hand with stories of addiction. So it's a little, like, it's it's another thing where it just feels like they're waving at the idea instead of actually exploring it were we supposed to know that Rafi is manipulative simply because she's an an addict like I just I want to know where that came from yeah I was going to say this feels like the stigma again you know oh it's an addict thing all addicts are manipulative again you need to build on more than just a stereotype otherwise you're telling a really lazy and potentially offensive story and the truth is like I could see Rafi being manipulative with Elnor, obviously, but at the same time, Elnor is a grown man and can make his own choices. And none of that comes through in Rafi's interactions with, for example, her son in season one, where she is almost, she has no ulterior motive. She is nakedly begging for reconciliation with her son. I was going to say, in the entirety of season one, we never see this. No. She interacts with Picard. She interacts with her son. She interacts with Rios. She interacts with Gerardi in very specific scenes. And at no point is she manipulative <laughs> towards any of them. Right. So it is definitely a 
something we're being told more than we've seen. And it feels like a way of gaslighting Raffi, who definitely does not need that in her life, but also gaslighting the audience into taking Seven's side in the conflict of their relationship. And I don't really want to do that. Seven broke my heart this week with everything she said about Agnes seeking connection and not finding it and clearly clearly meaning herself and Raffi as well, that sex is not enough to replace the the safety of being part of the collective. Even even love is not enough. And and that was really interesting. And so I am trying not to judge Seven too much for saying that Raffi is manipulative, but at the same time Raffi is so vulnerable to that type of manipulation that it's hard not to side I seven. There was one, you know, version of this where it's like, okay, it's kind of manipulative of you to say that though, Seven. So, you know, what are we doing here? What's going on here? Because you are you are manipulating by telling her that she's manipulative. And not just in a saying I'm racist makes you the ra- the racist, my friend, way. No. Uh, also, you know, you know who is very manipulative and who is very formative for Seven of Nine? The Borg Queen and Catherine Janeway. Guess what? Catherine Janeway is totally manipulative. Yes! Yes! So... <laughs> I completely understand why Seven is very sensitive to feeling that someone is trying to manipulate her and has also internalised those skills well enough to turn it back on Raffi. I was going to say, one of the things that I love about Seven is how often she threw Janeway's manipulation back at her. Yes. And was the only one on Voyager. Every single other person on that ship just took it. They just, you know, accepted that Janeway was right. Yes. And Seven was the only person who ever stood up to her and said, actually, you're in the wrong here. You're you're trying to force me into your box and I don't want to be there. Yeah. And that was one of the things I loved about Seven and about their relationship. And so I can't, like you said, I can't be angry with Seven for what she's doing because she is definitely dealing with things that are that have been with her and a part of her story since she was a child Mm. it is a very weird thing to not be borg right now yeah and yet be dealing with this whole when i wasn't borg i was an evil dictator it's layered there's a lot going on with seven and so I think that she's dealing with a lot of stuff. I this, the uh, this second episode, Mercy. Mm. I was so thrilled with everything Rafi and Seven in this episode because all of a sudden everything else that happened up in this season up until now was like there was was given context, right? And we finally got like why they're arguing, why they're they have a communication breakdown, why anything that has been going on between Seven and Rafi has been going on. And I was very, very excited to get that. I have in our notes, I have exclamation points after (laughs) every little thing, because I was just so excited that it was meaningful. It wasn't just Seven being a jerk for no reason. It was Seven being a jerk for a reason. That was exciting to me. And that's why I can forgive her for 
what she said to Rafi because I think she is having a really hard time and doesn't really have space to deal with that. And so she is reverting to the behaviour she was exposed to early in her life, much like Picard, you know, with his trauma. But what Seven is flashing back to or regressing to is the relationship she had in her first days on Voyager, where Janeway was almost at her most manipulative. And so no wonder Seven is really defensive about Ruffy assuming that she can think like the Borg Queen and manipulative in turn. And I also think that she can, and she hates that about herself. Yes, yes. I think Ruffy was actually on the nose there. <laughs> so so Seven has this, you know, I, I do know what is going on with Agnes. And I'm also like, I'm sure that Seven is feeling you know, is relating to Agnes's struggle struggle as well. Right. That she's that she's having these like flashbacks to when she was first released from the Borg mm. and and this this struggle of I I'm happy to be myself again, but I also have no idea who I am. And it was safer when I when I was the Borg, they could they just they gave me all of that. They gave me an identity. They gave me a community. They gave me marching orders. I didn't have to think for myself ever, and I never had to be alone. Yes, yes. She has so much to deal with right now, and yeah, I really my heart broke for Seven when she called Agnes her sister because I think there is more truth to that than she maybe intended. Right, yeah. I mean, so much of this broke me. The stuff with Elnor and Rafi was painful. Yeah. Because it's so, so hard to be a parent, just going to say, <laughs> as a parent of adults. <laughs> I mean, my youngest is 17 now. No, that can't be right. That is really close to when apparently you're supposed to be an adult. I, again, have uh, taken classes and I know that your brain doesn't stop changing until your mid twenties, No, even your late twenties. And so I don't think that 18 year olds are adults, but my baby, my baby is 17. <laughs> and it's, it's crazy. It's crazy to me. And so I know, I know what Rocky is feeling. I know mm. that, you know, I want to do right by this kid. I want to support him in exactly the way that he needs and make sure that he's on the right path and give him all of the stuff that I didn't have when I was that age that I wanted. And it's hard not to smother people. Yeah. Because at least, you know, I don't know Rafi, but for me, I felt very unsupported when mm. I was 17 and 18 and, and like trying to decide which college to go to. I didn't have anybody to help me out. And so I'm very cognizant of making sure that my kids have that, but I also want them to know that it ultimately is up to them and I, it's not me and they don't have to follow my footsteps and, and they don't have to do anything to 
please me or to make me feel better about my life because it's not about that. Right. Rafi's conversation with Elnor kind of... It was manipulative and it almost put him in the parental role in that she... What she's really saying is, I need you to stay here and join Starfleet and be close to me because I need you. And that is a valid way for her to feel, but it's putting him in a parental role that he's not ready for. And I, I don't want to slam Rafi for that any more than I want to slam Seven of Nine for her behaviour. I, I understand where it comes from, but I also think they were both wrong. My baby Eleanor, I just love him so much. I know. When Eleanor <laughs> is brought back to life, Rafi can apologise. And then and let him make his own choices. And I feel like he will choose Starfleet. Right. But it'll be his choice. It's sort of like Wesley. You know how like Wesley assumed that he was going to be a Starfleet officer his whole life. Yeah. And then he tried to be one and was like, actually, I hate this. Yes. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do this. I, I'm a very, very strong proponent of, first of all, gap years. Like, I think it's ridiculous that we ask any child to choose what they want to do with the rest of their life when they're 18 years old. Yeah. I think that's this bad planning. Everybody would be happier if it was easier for people to make these decisions when they're ready to make them. Right. I'm sorry. It's a soapbox for me. No, I know. And Eleanor really brought it out. Speaking of people who are probably about to make a pretty radical life change, let's talk about Rios and Teresa. What a mess. <laughs> I love them. They're a mess. Rios is just throwing caution to the wind. I know. Like, <laughs> I completely get Teresa. She has this positive encounter with Rios who seems like kind of a weirdo but a decent person and she offers him mm -hmm. help you know, if he ever needs it. And then he comes back and he's surrounded by these women who appear very rich and they're all acting almost as bodyguards to this mysterious, rich-looking old white man. I understand why Teresa is kind of hackles up when she sees this situation in her clinic. Right. N none of those people are people who would normally come to her clinic. <laughs> right. Right, it's just red flags all the way down. <laughs> they have concierge medicine. <laughs> Rafi talked about how if you have a relationship with someone in the from the past, it's built on lies. And I think Teresa has a really good bullshit detector and could see that, that he was misleading her. And mm -hmm. wasn't having any of that. And I deeply respect that. I think it's why I love her so much. Mm -hmm, I, I just... Mm -hmm. I feel like Rios is a Starfleet captain and there's probably some kind of course where they tell you not to do this sort of thing, not to give a field trip to the nice single mum and her kid that <laughs> you want to adopt and marry. I think Janeway probably leads that course and uh, has a lot to say about the horrors of dealing with, like, the time police. And I guess Rios slept through it. I think that part of it, it actually is that Rafi, who is his best friend and who knows him the most mm. and like knows his pitfalls. Gave him that call out? Gave him, yeah, gave him that call out. And he was like, you know what? She's right. And so I'm just going to go the opposite direction and, and tell the truth. Okay. So the reason that I love Teresa, I love Teresa for lots of reasons. Yes. I, I just love, I love a, 
a doctor. I love a do-gooder. I love her sassiness. Like she's just great in many, many ways. But particularly in this season where we have Yvette and we have Rafi making or being portrayed in a less positive light as mothers. Mm. Having Teresa as a very positive maternal role model. Her kid is great. Her kid is smart. Clearly he is capable and you know he he can give back. Like he is just very much his own person. And I really liked that they talked about her parenting and like yeah. you know said you have a nine-year-old who loves plants, so you're you're good. I really appreciated that because again, as a parent, you it's you're very unmoored, especially as a, especially as a single mom. I was just about I to say need people to tell me I'm doing a good job. And you know, I gave Rios extra points just for how supportive he is of her parenting. Like he's done that multiple times. Yeah. And I really, really appreciate it. I love that we're seeing that this is a smart kid, you know, that they are a Latinx and being persecuted. Like we had this whole ice thing happen and yet they are persevering. And like, I'm, I just really like the positiveness of, of her being a mother and that it's a good thing and that it's part of what Rios likes about her. It's also important to me, as you were saying, to have a single mother who is a woman of colour and her kid is great and they're a really functional unit. They don't need Rios to come along and save them and be the dad because they're a complete family as they are. And if they travel with Rios into the future, he will still have to adapt into their family, not the other way around. Yes. It's like he is excited by them as opposed to them being like, oh yeah, I, this is what I need in my life. Like they're fine. Yeah. <laughs> and they've and she's literally saved him like multiple times. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. she said so and she knows it. Like I just, I love her. She's so great. So I hope you're right. I hope she comes forward because I really want her to be on the Stargazer show now. <laughs> she can be the doctor, they need one. I really think that unless they are doing a very nasty twist, which I've seen the Killing Eve finale, I, I know writers can do this, I don't think you give someone the Gillian Taylor, I'm from Iowa, I only work in outer space line, unless you're bringing them forward. I really, really, really hope. I will be sad if they get left in a timeline, in a, in a time period that I live in that I know does not appreciate them that that kid will not have as good a life in 2024 as he he would in the future and so like like save that kid bring that kid forward yeah and they're only a few years away like that kid is going to live through the nuclear apocalypse and world war three he deserves better i mean everyone deserves deserves better but if you can't save everyone just save who you can and I also like a super, super, I'm the, the one thing I'm scared of is her saying I'm needed here. And I will no, like same. flip a table. I'll be like, nope, you're not. You, it is not on an individual person to save the world. She, belo- she should take her kid and get a better life. That is the way to win. Look, I agree, but do the writers <laughs> agree? Anyway, I love their relationship. I think 
that it turns out that these writers can actually build up a relationship from scratch pretty mad that they kissed before Rafi and Seven. Like, I'm torn because I'm happy that they kissed, mad it was before the queer women. I'm thrilled that she kissed him. Yes. I really, I just, I really like that character. Teresa is so great. I love her. And and I love Gillian Taylor. Like, I wanted to be Gillian Taylor when I was a child. I, that's all I wanted. I wanted to be Gillian Taylor more than anything. And so this is like a second coming of <laughs> I want to be that person. No, I keep thinking of you. Because first of the Jill- the first the Gillian Taylor and then also there are all these Rain Robertson Easter eggs all over the place. Like Absolutely. That that guy who's like a big prop nerd on Twitter pointed out him. that uh, <laughs> the snow globe that was in Rain Robinson's office is now in Sung's office. Little things like this. I really I don't need Rain to turn up in this story. I think that would be silly. I think Sarah Silverman has some other things going on, but I really appreciate that they are aware of this character and this story from Voyager. Right, right, exactly. You know, people say, oh, that makes the universe too small. And I'm like, no, that makes the universe exactly the right size. (laughs) I I mean, if it was set in a different city, it would be too much. But this is Los Angeles where Rain Robertson lived and worked. Robinson, not Robertson, lived and worked and had her adventures and... It makes sense that people like Soong would be aware of her. Yeah, absolutely, because she worked for that crazy guy. Right. <laughs> Who was also making stuff from the future. Look, if <laughs> Soong didn't buy out Chronoworks when What's-His-Face mysteriously disappeared, I will eat my hat. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I, I love Teresa. I love her kid. I love Rios and Teresa and her kid. Like, they're, yeah. they're great. They're Star great. Trek has a lot of really terrible children, child characters in its history, and this is not one of them. I love him because he is a brat and it's perfect. But he's, like, not, he's not a Hollywood brat. He feels no, like a really normal nine-year-old in that he is yeah. equal parts delightful and lovely and annoying. He absolutely seems like a kid who grew up in a place where he wasn't his mother's first priority. And it's perfect. Like, he's great. I just, I love him. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about bad dads. (laughs) (laughs) Adam Sling is the worst person in this show. The worst. And Q is in this show. So he's really, really bad. I'm still mad at Q for being in this story really but like i i still think he is just it seems like you are correct that he is doing all of this to get picard to fix q's life which is gross but very cute like yes but i you know at this point i kind of want him to say all the other cues are dead like including my you know the girl i love and the and my son because yeah where are the other cue if if that didn't happen so but ignoring Q, please. Adam Sung is is terrible. He's like, I can't. There's nothing good about Adam Sung, and the <laughs> the suggestion that Adam Sung is all of the songs just makes all of the songs so terrible. Except for Corey. Corey is the best, and I love her. Corey and Data are the only valid songs. 
Exactly. Completely agree. I, if if Soji counts as a son, then also Soji, but yeah. I don't think she does. I don't think she should be tainted that way. <laughs> I think it's more that Cora, uh, that Soji has a different relationship with the Sung legacy than Data, and that's okay. Like, she is Data's <laughs> daughter, not Sung's daughter. Exactly. But yeah, Sung is an MCU villain to the point where he has access to a private military. Like, dude, how can you not look in the mirror and go, am I the bad guy? Again, Corey is the best. And when Corey stood up to him and was like, she said everything that I said last time. I know. That, you know, he does not care about her as a person. He only cares about her as his legacy. And she's right because that's what he said like when he called her out he confirmed it because he t only talked about how her life related to his yeah yeah and then belatedly went oh shit i should probably like say something a bit affirming of her <laughs> he's so gross he's so gross i also like that she pulled up the whole mythology connection mm. i loved the nod to alice in wonderland <laughs> with the whole freedom yes me bit Corey is great and adam singh is terrible everything about him is terrible yeah yeah that's about it speaking of adam and his terribleness and his new ally because he just can't stop working with the worst people I loved Agnes's whole, or the Agnes Queen, I should say, but the whole ripped ball gown, army boots deal. And you say cosplay for all. I was oh. very, very excited. I was like, yes, I already wanted to do Agnes in her red dress. Now I want to do Agnes in her red dress. And then the next day, Agnes in her ripped red dress and combat boots. That is my childhood. <laughs> The first time that I decided to care about fashion, that was what I cared about. I was, I was a Courtney Love fan. <laughs> like, what we you all. understand. <laughs> I, I was exactly the right age to fall into, you know, the baby doll dress and combat boot grunge aesthetic and run with it. I was a couple of years behind you, but absolutely and you know we were talking about doing agnes and the ball queen for the con in 2024 so ready. yes and we were saying like that's more of an evening look and then you the next day can do agnes in her so i just love it so much i love everything that alison pill is doing mm. with that role i love her board queenness like the, the the Terminator, <laughs> it's it's so good. It's so good. Everything about it is amazing. I'm very 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 happy with everything Agnes Queen. We were saying that that people looked at young Picard and said, "I feel seen." I maintain that I look at Agnes Queen and I say, "Oh, I feel seen," and I know <laughs> that means that I'm like the villain in the story. <laughs> but what I mean is that punk aesthetic of I am going to be in your face about how bad I feel right now. Yes, I'm not going to pretend that I'm okay. 
which again is a very 90s thing that mm. happened that was very much like I was again exactly the right age to be I am super angry about these things that are happening and I don't know what to do with it it's really powerful and I, I kind of don't know how if the writer's room is aware of how powerful it is much like how the prodigy writers didn't expect everyone to glom onto goth Janeway for almost similar reasons right exactly aesthetically it's amazing and there's a real body horror in panning over and realize that she is like eating car parts <laughs> like Agnes you're going to have a tummy ache spit that battery out right now I appreciated that Rafi and Seven did have the realization that their Agnes still is in there. Yes. And she can be reasoned with. Because I think that that's really like if this series does anything, I want them, I want us to come out on the other side and be like, the Borg are an issue, not not an enemy. No, no, I really do think that Agnes is going to integrate with the Borg Queen and create a new type of Borg. And I think that's that's really cool. And the redemption of the Borg is something I'm really here for. I think it almost makes up for the way that they were disposed of in season one. Yeah, I, I'm most upset about season one is that that Hugh's legacy has been destroyed and yeah. we don't we don't get that these are people and they are like seven of nine isn't the exception. Seven seven of nine is the example. Right. Picard is more than Locutus, but he was also Locutus, and that's important. I love the way that the, the Borg Queen still talks about Locutus as like this really important person in the Borg. The one that got away. Yeah, it's just, it's really, I really like that continuity. And I think it's important because Seven, as much as she, and I, I agree with her that she's not Borg and she was really upset by the whole thing. She also is Borg. Yeah. She's again, one of these new kind of Borg. Like she is, she's mixed race <laughs> to, to use a, a euphemism. A very problematic euphemism. <laughs> very but... problematic euphemism. What I'm saying is we need to care about the Borg. I am still beating this drum <laughs> that, look, people, the Borg need to be redeemed. I, I, I'm Hugh standing up and saying these are people and we should care about them. Look, I think you are 100% right and I really hope that we get something like this. After this many years, the Borg have to evolve or they have to be abandoned as plot devices. And it's more interesting that they evolve. I mean, it's also just that I have this very, very personal connection to Seven of Nine and the Borg in general. Yes. Which is why I love Agnes so much and why I can't even, like she's a murderer. <laughs> And she's teaming up with the worst person in the universe and trying to make his worst universe timeline happen. But I understand her. 
at the end of Monsters, when Seven of Nine is like, the Borg Queen is in LA and she's going to start assimilating people, my flatmate was like, ooh, ooh, is there a cue for that? Where do I join? So... <laughs> <laughs> That's like, I have a friend and he's a vet, which I think is important to this com- this this comment that I'm going to a make. A veteran or a veterinarian? A veteran. A okay. vet- <laughs> Sorry. He's a veteran. Uh, uh, he was in the army. Right. And... I don't even remember what we were talking about. We were basically talking about cyborgs in general. Mm. And he said that, you know, no one would sign up to be a cyborg. And I was like, are you kidding? (laughs) I literally have a Google search open, a Google alert for, are you looking for, I'm going to put a chip in your brain, (laughs) (laughs) like people, because I absolutely want to be a cyborg. (laughs) And he was just like, that is completely out of my reality. But it's just this same feeling of belonging and connection and purpose that yeah. the Borg give you. And I understand why Seven wants it. I understand why Agnes wants it. I understand why the Queen is crazy if she doesn't have it. You know, we've had all of these prestige miniseries about cults and scam artists lately and particularly the intersection of startup culture and the scam and so many of them succeed because people really want to belong to something greater and do something meaningful and the Borg offer that. Honestly Agnes doesn't need Sung and she doesn't need a private army she just needs a bunch of millennials and some venture capital money. Mm-hmm. So I was reading this uh, very interesting article about the rise of anti-trans sentiment in the UK. Yeah. And how it's related to Mumsnet. Yeah. Which is an internet message board, basically, which is uh, for mothers. Yes. And that when a woman has a child and realizes that the UK doesn't care about mothers Mm. and they get no support, then they look for something to belong to. And they look for that community because they, they were very, you know, staunchly, I'm a feminist and I'm a woman and I'm a businessman and I'm like doing all of this stuff. And now I'm a mother and no one cares about me anymore. And they only want to talk about my kid, and I've lost my entire identity. And so they go to this Mumsnet place and the Mumsnet place say it's the trans people's fault. Yes. (laughs) And and they become very anti-trans. And it was it was an amazing article. It was a really great deep dive into this. You know, I we've mentioned even that like there's it's kind of weird. Like it's not like there isn't anti-trans sentiment in America and probably Australia. Oh yeah. But the UK is like weird about it. And, you know, obviously I am super anti-turf, <laughs> like clearly, but I do understand that I want a community. I want someone to see me and say, yes, your relationship is valid. Your relationship to reality is valid. And when you don't have that, you look for it. And if someone offers you it in in a bad way, you're very vulnerable. Here's my private military. Here's mm. here's my you know evil 
automate tons, you know, we're going to take over your mind people. You're yeah, you're very vulnerable because you, you're very suggestive. You want, you want that you're, you're looking for it. You're seeking it. So bottom line, support people <laughs> so that this doesn't happen. It, it's, it's like the radicalization of young white men by the old mm-hmm. right. No one is immune to this. I feel like I am less susceptible to cult stuff than many people, but I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm not susceptible at all. Mm-hmm. I am right here talking about Star Trek on my Star Trek podcast. <laughs> Are you saying Star Trek is a cult? I, you know, I think that's a simplistic way to view it, and yet. Starfleet is kind of a cult, and I think that that's... Oh, yeah. Like, the, the Elnor and Rafi subplot was about Starfleet being a cult, and it's another thing that I appreciated about that. I but really do the writers that. know that? No, the writers definitely <laughs> don't know that. However, I know that. <laughs> Our timer has gone off. Let's talk about Agent Wells and his mm. cut-rate molder deal. That's definitely what my photopath is going to be entirely about, is the fact that he's fast molder. Did the Vulcans abduct his sister? <laughs> I mean, the, the, like, the Vulcans being, like, a problem on Earth, is it entertains me that that is a, a thread throughout Star Trek. Can I just be that awful fan, just for a moment, and complain that they have this great Carbon Creek uh, nod with the Vulcans observing humans, but then the Vulcans are, like, out here doing mind melds and transporting, and that wasn't... You know, they didn't have that technology. They didn't engage in mind melds at this time. Guys, get it together. This is fake Star Trek. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're right. I forgot about the whole, like, mind melds weren't happening at this time period. Well, I, I am still watching Enterprise and watched those episodes quite recently. So, like, for me, this is current. And it's just, it bugs me a little that they're so good with, like, the Voyager Easter eggs and all of that stuff, but they forget Enterprise. Mm. Uh, whereas Discovery is so much in conversation with Enterprise. Like, mm. it's not the end of the world, it just annoys me a little. Okay. It also annoys me a little that Wells, this completely random white dude, has a whole arc. And meanwhile, <laughs> everyone else is just, like, flailing around. Yeah. He has a whole arc that relates directly to Picard's. Yes. <laughs> it is just really, really... The fact that they recast this guy who is was in Voyager in a time traveler role, and yet this guy is not a time traveler, I'm <laughs> a little upset about it. If I'm allowed to be upset about the Enterprise stuff, you are totally allowed to be upset about this. But apparently, apparently this actor was also in 12 Monkeys, so he's just a Terry Metalis guy. But, like, 12 Monkeys is also about time travel. So it's just, like, why are you doing this? And it just, it only annoys me because Talon exists Mm. and I'm not over Talon existing. I'm really upset that Talon exists and that she looks exactly like Laris and that she's really a Romulan and is apparently another Sung type. And I, like, if they were going the route of Sung is actually just cloning himself over and over like I pre, I like that story because that makes it make sense why he's just Brent Spiner over mm. and over again, and so if 
if now they're doing this thing where this guy is like that guy but isn't that guy but looks like that guy but they're like related because they both care about aliens and time travel like i'm just not into that i am very over like that's not how genetics work i say this as a person who works for geneticists (laughs) that's not how genetics work so stop (laughs) in this casting's defense i want to point out that Kate Mulgrew plays Janeway's ancestor in 1159 in Voyager. It's not better. No, I know. But I'm just saying, this is like a Star Trek trope. Also... It's bad, though. Star Trek, stop. (laughs) I think, just as Susie Plaxon can play a whole lot of characters and the Jeffrey Combs of it all, it's okay to reuse actors as unrelated characters. I mean, Law and Order does this too, so it's yeah. not like it's unique even to Star Trek. Mm. It's just... Also, my complaint is that Jeffrey Combs didn't play this agent. <laughs> anyway, the other thing I want to talk about before we wrap up is the genius of the whole stuck in the past and you do the work because you want to evolve. So good. Motifs. We finally have been told what the season two theme is. Yes. And it's great. I love that as a theme. It's excellent. I know. And I also... I think it could have been raised just a little earlier. <laughs> like, you do need to do some work here in the writer's room, guys. I can't do everything for you. I have to admit that, so I was, like, looking at tweets last week. Again, last week's uh, episode... Uh, monsters. Monsters really upset me. Yes. I I enjoyed Mercy. Um, I even enjoyed parts of Monsters. I loved James Callis. Like, I just want to say I'm thrilled that James Callis is in Star Trek. And I actually sort of really am entertained by the idea that he's Picard's dad. I know. I know. That's fantastic. He did such a great job. Amazing. Wonderful, wonderful portrayal. You really can't put just any actor in a room with Patrick Stewart for an episode. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Right, exactly. It really, like, that whole episode depended on them having good back-and-forth mm. chemistry. Like, it, it really depended on them being bringing their A-game and doing it because a lot of that episode was about just the two of them in a room talking to each other. Yeah. But I didn't like, like, it, it gave me a bad taste in general, that episode. Mm. But even so, like, the I, this whole, like, I'm stuck, which came up in that episode over and over again, being the theme, like, that's great. And, oh, so I was looking at the tweets that I was always talking about. I was looking at these tweets, and one person was like, the idea of the Borg and Q and time travel and all of this journey as being your trauma like working out your trauma is a really great plot point and yet everybody hates it and Mm. i'm upset about it and i was like i really like that take that's a great take that i didn't i didn't get firsthand but having read it i like that take and i appreciate it and i can like plant it on top of my feelings and it makes it better yes so I'm, I'm glad of that. And so sort of like this, you do the work because you want to evolve that idea of like humanity in specifically wants to evolve, which has been brought up in Star Trek before. Mm. 
especially in opposition to like the Vulcans who are very much about preserving the status quo. Yes, yes. I do appreciate that. I like the idea that humanity is special because we aren't happy with the, the status quo that we are always seeking, that we're going boldly or whatever. The status quo almost destroyed us, so we had to change it or die. <laughs> and so I appreciate these ideas. Again, I love the concepts in Picard. I love the characters in Picard. I just don't like the way they actually tell the story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I feel bad saying that because I also am I'm I'm really enjoying this whole season. Yeah, aside from last week, which honestly hit me really personally, so I can't really be rational about it. Like I have two serious triggers and one of them is, hey, maybe your abusive dad wasn't that bad after all. So I just cannot be yeah. rational about that. Mm-hmm. But Overall, I think the season is doing really cool stuff and it's doing a lot of it badly. But I almost wonder if, like with Enterprise, we will look back in 20 years and see the challenges under which they were working and have more appreciation for what they were able to pull off under those conditions. I can absolutely believe that that's true. Because we also, also we know, we know that all of this crazy stuff is going on. We know that we're living in a pandemic. Right. We know that nothing feels sure that it feels like they're going to rip the bottom out from under us all the time these days. So of course, everybody's like dealing with all of this uncertainty and, and you're just trying to like get through the day and you're trying to finish the chapter and finish the script and put it out there and and get it done and have it be over. (laughs) Like, I understand where they're coming from. And I do think that Ultimately, it's a net positive that that putting it out there is is better than not putting it out there. Except for the event stuff last week. Well, the, <laughs> I'm I'm waiting to see what happens with Yvette mm-hmm. because it could go horribly wrong, and that's my fear. Or it could. They can't fix it. They can't make. Uh, monsters a good episode or a unproblematic episode no um or an episode that says something acceptable (laughs) sorry to be mean but again as someone who was personally affected by what happened in that episode it's bad oh yeah but in some ways talking about it at all is something is worth something i think that's a nice place to end it would you like to give us an outro absolutely thank you for listening to antimatter pod you can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com including links to our social media credit for our theme music and transcripts of our episodes you can also follow us on twitter facebook and tumblr all at antimatterpod and write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com if you like us Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us and tell your friends. Join us in two weeks when we will be discussing the season finale of Star Trek Picard and the series premiere of Strange New Worlds. That'll be a really big episode. I am making a a face. (laughs) 